things you like to see a man holding, depending on your personal preferences, style of courting, and private fantasies. It could have been a dozen roses. It could have been a first edition of Langston Hughes. It could have been a ripe watermelon or a perfect mango. It could have been a love poem. It could have been new music. It could have been his heart. The only thing it could not have been are in the category of Mercedes-Benzes and Rolex watches and secure retirement plans. It has to be something that touches your soul like it touched her soul, like it always touches mine. The real stuff, the scary stuff, the love to the grave and beyond stuff. That's the stuff he was holding when she saw him. And it startled her. And she looked into his eyes, and he smiled and touched her cheek and spoke to her in a rich, chocolate-brown voice full of love and sex and responsible fatherhood. And he said, I think you are so fine, and I want to make love to you, so why don't you stop doing whatever it is you're doing and come and sit down here and let me rub your head and you can listen to me talk about myself for a while and maybe you could tell me some things I hadn't thought of on my own and maybe these things would bring peace and health and prosperity to my life and you could feel good too when I got around to it and hey, I think I love you and she was amazed to feel her knees go weak and her cheek flush crimson And also, she trembled, and she wanted to touch him and have him touch her. And she checked her watch and said to herself, The meeting isn't for 15 minutes yet. It won't hurt to stop for just a second and see what this brother is into. I don't care what he's holding. And she smiled and said, That is the lamest rap I've heard in ages. We got cities to build and poems to write and gold mines to discover and babies to create and passion to bring to full flower. Why should I want to spend my every waking hour looking at you? And he said, I don't know, because I want you to. And she wanted to say, nigga, please. But she couldn't speak. She found herself paralyzed by the glow around him. She watched herself reaching up, turning her face to his, opening her lips and her arms and her softness to him, And she was distracted and late and A-W-O-L for no good reason that I can think of. Can you? And her sister sat quietly in the circle waiting for her. Couldn't start without her. Powerless without her. Looking at the space her presence was supposed to fill. But she didn't come. And she didn't come. And she didn't come. But somewhere just outside the gates of the Amazon city, She arched her back and offered her neck and came for him, to him, with him. And her sister, who was ready to begin her baby, cried out and turned away. And when they tried to fly to find and save their sister, they stumbled and jumped around like crippled birds, too old or too lame or too silly to take off. And it was over. Broken, finished, finito, incognito. It was once burned, twice shy, and too little too late, and they staggered, powerless and broken, to the gates of the city, and threw them open, and saw their sister asleep, and smiling, 
curled upon the breast of this glowing man and already forgetting the wonder of her wings, the miracle of her magic, the power of her army. And the man smiled when he saw them running toward their fallen sister and tightened his arms around her. And she purred in her sleep like a cream-fed cat. And that was when the men came. And the Amazons became their slaves and had their babies and cooked their dinners and listened to their stories and dreamed their dreams and darned their fucking socks. And our slavery and powerlessness and our fear and our longing for the campfires where we once held hands and sang with our sisters drove us to acts of madness and self-destruction and amnesia until we arrived at the first quarter of the 21st century, weakened by oppression and self-hate, degraded and distracted by all the things that don't have anything to do with being a woman, an Amazon woman, until we arrive at the first quarter of the 21st century, straining to hear the voice of the goddess and keening in the darkness for the clarity, the serenity, the strength, and the sisterhood of the time, before the time, before the time, before the time, the men came. That was in the time before men came, a past prologue by Pearl Cleach. Peace, y'all. How y'all doing today? It's the Angry Divas Radio Show. That's right, baby. I'm your host with the most, the triple dark goddess, also known as Diva Fire, baby. And uh, I'm going to play that again. That is, today is the time before the men came part two, and that was a spoken word performance by Queen Ifama Uchefuna, rest in power, who performed this poem written by Pearl Cleage. I recommend that you get it. Pearl Cleage is a brilliant writer. She's one of my favorites. And um, we did part one yesterday. You are more than welcome to hear it. Actually, you know what I should do? What I'm going to do? Because I can, because it's my show. I'm going to play part one, then part two. Yep. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get part one up. I'm going to play part one. We're going to start it over. Because we did this yesterday, and I kind of sort of, you know, talked about it just a little touch. Um, But I'm going to play this part one of the poem, and then I'm going to play part two, and then we're going to get in here and talk it out. Um, The entire thing is about 14 minutes. Right now on the clock, we have 17 minutes on the show before we officially go into overtime. So if you wanted to hear, oh, let me open a chat room. I did, You know what? I'm not opening chat room. Fuck that chat room. Uh, if you're listening and you're listening via the radio, you're not called in, but you're on the blog talk link, um, you're going to have to call in before the show goes into overtime. If you're watching the live stream left, it says 17 minutes. And um, if you don't call in before then, you'll get cut off when we go into overtime. And I am not going to remind anybody, so everybody call us in, 347-826-9930 to hear the, you know, last portion of the show once we go into OT. And if you wanted to weigh in, I might 
open call lines today. I haven't been lately, but I have my open call lines. So you'll press one, and um, we'll be able to do that. So I'm going to go ahead and play part one of the time before the men came. I will follow it up with part two once that ends. And they end kind of abruptly. Queen did not edit these out at the end. And I don't blame her. Like, it is what it is. You know what it is. So I'm going to just let it be what it is. All right, let's play it. In the time before the men came, we could do everything. We were fearless, brave, trustworthy, clean, mentally awake, and morally straight. In the time before the men came, back when we could still fly and have babies by the power of positive groupthink, we were Amazon women. We planned and built cities. We wrote great books and thought new thoughts and argued about ideas and aesthetics until the sun set and the moon rose and bathed us all in silver. In the time before the men came, we were fearless, counting among our number warriors, strategists, generals, and magicians who could read the tide for signs. We plotted with impunity and precision and defended our borders with a shining combination of physical strength mental superiority, and absolute courage. We had integrity, scorning the petty and the vicious, avoiding the obvious, sidestepping the curse of sloppy thinking and obsessive, possessive love that shrinks and stains and trains the ear for bickering and mediocrity as if they were the music of the spheres. We knew how to call a spade a spade. In the time before the men came, we were bold, explorers and wanderers, dreamers and schemers. We lived in harmony with each other and in constant search for the truth of this world and the next one. We were responsible, caring for our own and each other with a bond, deep understanding of what it really means to be part of a whole, a sister among your sisters. In the time before the men came, we were loving, treating each other and those we trusted with a sensuality and sweetness unmatched before or since. In the time before the men came, we could still fly. Do you remember that shit? Flying? I mean, flying as in step to the edge of the mountain, bear your breast to the north wind, rub each moon-bathed nipple three times counterclockwise, and reach out far enough and with confidence enough that from under each breast would emerge gigantic black wings with smooth blue-black feathers and a span of six feet on either side. And they spread out from underneath so that we didn't fly with that difficult upper body strength-dependent motion so beloved of Akaris and the boys. We just kind of laid out on our wings and soared. The only motion necessary was a kind of rippling thing that looked the way a fish looks when it isn't in a hurry and the water is the perfect reptilian subnormal degree of coolness. And we could fly for hours without even breathing hard. In fact, we developed an entire art form based on flying. Sort of like water ballet with 12-foot wings and a touch of bop to it. That and the art of ball head painting were both lost after the men came. Two art forms that just didn't survive. 
the loss of concentration. Mythology aside, I personally was quite sorry to see bald head painting go the way of moon worshippers and winged ballet. The intricate designs and decorations which emerged once the sisters agreed that hair was too distracting and all shaved their heads regularly were breathtaking. And since the bald head paintings were temporary, disappearing at the first serious bath or sudden rainstorm, they were all the more precious. And even though the real radicals said they didn't see the difference between spending six hours working on cornrows and six hours working on bald head paintings, most sisters were so taken with the beauty and the sensuality of the whole idea from start to finish that the movement to outlaw it quickly died and was never raised again. But that was in the time before the men came. See, the problem wasn't so much in their coming, but in what their coming meant to us as Amazon women. Our magic was completely dependent on the strength of our collective concentration, our ability to sit within the magic circle, join hands, and collectively focus our minds on one thing and achieve it. But it took the complete concentration of the entire group. And so we worked hard to maintain that concentration, that focus, that power, which is one of the reasons why their lives, why our lives, were so peaceful. Superfluous activity is distracting. It weakens you. So they met twice a day in the completeness of their circle, and they thought about each other, and they thought about themselves, and they thought about their strength and their wisdom and their loving kindness, and they thought about their power. And then they would focus intently on the pertinent question, which on any particular day might be a problem of the mind or the heart. Reinforcement of their gifts and powers, defense, healing, flying, birth. Birth is a good example of how it worked. In the time before the men came, we had our babies without them. What we would do when an Amazon expressed a desire to have a child was gather in the sacred circle in the birth configuration. Say the charm for fertility and conception and then concentrate really hard. And if the time was right and the concentration was total, a girl child would begin to grow inside her mother. Only girl children would be conjured in this way. It was, in any case, an all-female society. So that question of male children was pretty, pretty much moot. But if the time was not right, or if the sister was not really ready, or if someone was not concentrating really hard, it didn't work, and the baby girl was not conceived. In this way, the society had a kind of extrasensory method of birth control, and the life of the group, its future, was dependent on the ability of those already on the scene to concentrate and take themselves seriously. Sisterhood was, in a very real sense, survival. It was the same with flying. It only worked as a collective vision. If they all believed they could fly, 
they could all fly. But if one hesitated before stepping off into the freedom of, into the beauty of, the void, they were all in danger of the crash. It was necessary that close attention be paid at a serious life and death level, 24-7-365. And it was, but that was in the time before the men came. And then one day, a young sister was hurrying back to join the midday sacred circle, and she saw a man sitting outside the gates of the Amazon city. Now this was no big thing. Men lived in gender-integrated towns and villages all around the Amazon, and they often had male lovers, although usually not for long. Most men grew uncomfortable trying to love a free woman over the long haul. Amazon women didn't put much energy into the discomfort of their male friends. Discomfort was distracting. When it got to be a real problem, they simply put their lovers and set them loose. Their society recognized no intrinsic value in heterosexual unions and held no censure for any kind of sexual coupling that took place between consenting adults. Men, however, were not allowed to sleep within the gates of the Amazon city. Even on conjugal visits, dreaming women were considered to be vulnerable to the power of the men. And so at first moon, they were escorted outside the gates and wished Good night. But somehow, this man seemed different from the others she had known. It was almost as if he had a glow around his head or something. And he was holding all the... Alright, now here comes part two. Alright, that was part one. Now, here comes part two of the time before the men came. I told y'all it ends kind of abruptly, okay? So here goes part two. Things you like to see a man holding, depending on your personal preferences, style of courting, and private fantasies. It could have been a dozen roses. It could have been a first edition of Langston Hughes. It could have been a ripe watermelon or a perfect mango. It could have been a love poem. It could have been new music. It could have been his heart. The only thing it could not have been are in the category of Mercedes Benzes and Rolex watches and secure retirement plans. It has to be something that touches your soul like it touched her soul, like it always touches mine. The real stuff, the scary stuff, the love to the grave and beyond stuff. That's the stuff he was holding when she saw him, and it startled her. And she looked into his eyes, and he smiled and touched her cheek and spoke to her in a rich, chocolate-brown voice full of love and sex and responsible fatherhood. And he said, I think you are so fine, and I want to make love to you, so why don't you stop doing whatever it is you're doing and come and sit down here and let me rub your head. And you can listen to me talk about myself for a while. And maybe you could tell me some things I hadn't thought of on my own. And maybe these things would bring peace and health and prosperity to my life. And you could feel good too when I got around to it. And hey, I think I love you. 
and she was amazed to feel her knees go weak and her cheek flush crimson. And also, she trembled, and she wanted to touch him and have him touch her. And she checked her watch and said to herself, The meeting isn't for 15 minutes yet. It won't hurt to stop for just a second and see what this brother is into. I don't care what he's holding. And she smiled and said, That is the lamest rap I've heard in ages. We got cities to build and poems to write and gold mines to discover and babies to create and passion to bring to full flower. Why should I want to spend my every waking hour looking at you? And he said, I don't know, because I want you to. And she wanted to say, nigga, please. But she couldn't speak. She found herself paralyzed by the glow around him. She watched herself reaching up turning her face to his, opening her lips and her arms and her softness to him, and she was distracted and late and A-W-O-L for no good reason that I can think of, can you? And her sister sat quietly in the circle waiting for her. Couldn't start without her, powerless without her, looking at the space her presence was supposed to fill, but she didn't come, and she didn't come, and she didn't come. But somewhere just outside the gates of the Amazon city, she arched her back and offered her neck and came for him, to him, with him. And her sister, who was ready to begin her baby, cried out and turned away. And when they tried to fly to find and save their sister, they stumbled and jumped around like crippled birds, too old or too lame or too silly to take off. And it was over. Broken, finished, finito, incognito. It was once burned, twice shy, and too little too late, and they staggered, powerless and broken, to the gates of the city, and threw them open, and saw their sister asleep, and smiling, curled upon the breast of this glowing man, and already forgetting the wonder of her wings, the miracle of her magic, the power of her army. And the man smiled when he saw them running toward their fallen sister and tightened his arms around her. And she purred in her sleep like a cream-fed cat. And that was when the men came. And the Amazons became their slaves and had their babies and cooked their dinners and listened to their stories and dreamed their dreams and darned their fucking socks. And our slavery and powerlessness and our fear and our longing for the campfires where we once held hands and sang with our sisters drove us to acts of madness and self-destruction and amnesia until we arrived at the first quarter of the 21st century, weakened by oppression and self-hate, degraded and distracted by all the things that don't have anything to do with being a woman, an Amazon woman, until we arrive at the first quarter of the 21st century, straining to hear the voice of the goddess and keening in the darkness for the clarity, the serenity, the strength, and the sisterhood of the time, before the time, before the time, before the time, the men came. That was in the time before men came, a past prologue, by Pearl Cleach.
black, not because of the dark phase of the moon, not because of the fertility principle of the earth, not because of the darkness of night. Mama God is black because she is black, being the source and core of the cosmos. Black is the color of the source, echoed as the black melanated center of the cells of living things and the black pupil of all eyes. Only black contains all colors. Only a black mama can give birth to beings and humans of all hues. Mama God is black for the same reason Africans, the parents of humanity, or Hugh-Humanity, are black. Hugh-Hugh, ancient name of creation's black source. For melanin, like nappy hair, creation, the universe. Thus, black melanin is found as the vital element in the human nervous system and brain, the sheath of the ovum and sperm, in the soil, plants, animals, barks of trees, seeds of plants everywhere, throughout the center, throughout the entire cosmos. Only black, with its rich, full self, contains all and can birth all things. The rich fullness of the universe. Truly, there is no lack in black. The great mama is the great black, the original great black that gave birth to the light, the loving light of life, personified as the great pyramid with its jet black capstone and polished white lime gloriously reflected the light of her son, the sun. The great pyramid, a monument whose origin many names will include Kuti, The true source of the very word is God itself. That black stone enshrined in the Kaaba at Mecca was originally a symbol of the great black goddess called Kore in pre-Islamic Arabia. Their version of the jet black virgin goddess Kar, heart and soul of black mother earth. The patriarchal Islamic men might have a fit if they found out this truth. Or maybe they know it, but they're in denial. The great black is the, I'm reading this, Dalmanufa, a word so powerful. It is mentioned one time only in the Bible. Look it up, Mark 8, 10, chapter 8, verse 10. Dalmanufa, the black abyss of creation, black hole, black source, womb of the abyss, hue, hue, abyss of all beginning the primordial abyss that gave birth to the cosmos, the place of the waters, the utter blackness before there was light, the deep in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, a secret deep that nobody can fathom, which sends out light in the dark. The words deep and depth are apparently from Egyptian tep and tept. Egyptian tep, the abyss, the source, the well, the hole from whence the water issues, It is also an Egyptian name for the old first great mother as a figure of source. On all continents, the supreme being was originally worshipped as the great black mama 
goddess, the great black mother of creation in a time before the men came. A time when we understood the way that things worked and we gave honor and paid homage to that proper right function time before the men came and corrupted our judgment, corrupted our love of ourselves, convinced us that loving them was something righteous, something right for us, especially when that love comes at the expense of us. A time before all the men came, not just the white ones, but the black ones too, a time when mother was God. In the beginning was the womb, and the womb was with God, and the womb was God in the time before the men came. Can we get back there? Some of us are already in that back there space, making wise choices in our networking and our sisterhoods. We have powerful connections to women who absolutely adore being women and who adore seeing women advance. This is where we choose to keep our focus. On the time before the men came. You know, I got to tell you, every time I hear this poem, it just does me in. I don't know about you, but it just, it puts me in such a reflective space and a very, all I can think of is that darkness upon the deep because it does represent expansion. And I think it's a very powerful thing to be talking about today, um, especially because today represents the day of expansion being Jupiter's day, Thursday. This is the day of expansion. And that expansion, well, what we call space is the deep. It's the darkness upon the deep that sends out light from the darkness. It is the mother. It is the womb of the mother or the universe, the omniverse, the all that is all that you as a black woman represent as the physical embodiment and personification, a physical embodiment and personification of the all that is all of the great black mama of creation, of that darkness upon the deep of the cosmos, of it all, truly of it all. We must remember who we are. We must remember we are God. We have to remember that we come from a royal priestesshood. We will not behave the way that the common women behave. We have to remember that we are a royal priestesshood. I'm saying this for myself as much as I'm saying it for you all, because I'm going to go back and listen to this show and get myself too. (laughs) And snatch my own goddamn self and get myself too. We must remember who we are. We have to remember that we are God, that you are God. You alone are the God of all existence. It came from your womb, only the black Mama, the great black mama of creation, could give birth to all living things. Because black is the only, the only color that represents all things. It all comes out of you. When it comes down to it, honey, this is just you. 
Y'all need to listen to that Jill Scott song. One is a magic number. You really do. And remember, you are God. It's only you. It comes down to it. It's just you, and you are God. I would just so happen to not have that in the soundboard, right? Wouldn't that just be like the thing that happens right now? <laughs> I'm Triple Dark Goddess. This has been another Bitch House production, the Angry Divas radio show. I want to say thank you for everybody who called in. Today is a just a chillastic ass day. Tomorrow we're going to be in here for free as fuck me Friday. Ooh, the power of selfishness. Mm-hmm. Yes, the spell that they've put us under to be self-sacrificing to our detriment, and that's okay. But when it comes to being selfish, when it comes to focusing on yourself, when it comes to doing something that you know is in your best interest and your highest good, no matter what other people think about it, no matter how other people clap back and do things, for you to go on ahead and do what you know is right for you, that's something we wrestle with. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Y'all have a wonderful rest of your day, and make sure you call in tomorrow, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Radio, radio, radio.